I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hardly a week goes by without news of further atrocities committed by the Islamic State against the Christian minorities of the Middle East, such as the Mandaeans and Yazidis of Iraq. Gerard Russell, a former diplomat and now based at Harvard, is one of the world's foremost experts on these fascinating and ancient peoples. We welcome Gerard Russell to the History Today offices, where Tom Holland asked him about his new book, published by Simon & Schuster, Heirs to Forgotten Kingdoms. Gerard, the subtitle to your book, Heirs to Forgotten Kingdoms, is Journeys into the Disappearing Religions of the Middle East. And I imagine that since you conceived of this book... Um, the rate at which they're disappearing has got a lot more intense. Well, it, it has, Tom, because, of course, of Islamic State, which uh, operates in exactly the region where these religions have been most concentrated. You do have enormous populations of, of Christians in Egypt and so forth, but the kind of the, the religions most people will not have heard of, like the Mandaeans, the Yazidis, and indeed the Alawites, uh, live in that region, north uh, Syria, north Iraq, that is precisely where the Islamic State operates. Well, we've heard of the Yazidis who've been a particular object of um, the Islamic State's depredations. Could you tell us a little bit about them and, and maybe what it is that has so infuriated um, the Islamic State fighters? Well, the Yazidis are in are a perplexing religion and, and difficult to study in many ways because there are so many, their history has taken so many turnings. They've existed for a thousand years in their present form, uh, founded by a man called Adi bin Musafir, who was probably a Muslim preacher. And yet the religion that he ended up founding, uh, probably he would be rather surprised to discover, is not much like Islam at all. It has a great number of, of ancient Mesopotamian beliefs that are embedded in it, uh, such as belief in reincarnation, uh, such as certain food taboos that perplex the outside world, such as uh, they don't eat lettuce, for example. Um, they shouldn't wear the colour blue. They are meant to wear their moustaches long. Um, and all of these do in some way relate to certain things that people used to do in very ancient times. At the core of their belief is the figure of Malaktaus, who is the peacock angel, as it translates, who is, in their view, um, if you like, a sort of um, repentant Lucifer who has been re redeemed, restored to favour. And that's where it comes into trouble, I 
juxtapose with biblical monotheists and Quranic monotheists? Yes, uh, I mean, certainly these Yazidis are not conventional monotheists, though they, they do believe in a, in a sort of omnipotent God, but an omnipotent God so distant that it's Malak to Uz whom they revere. And many Muslims will say that means they're devil worshippers. Um, actually, the theology of the Yazidis is not uh, that of devil worship. They see Malak Ta'us as a figure of good and uh, revere him in the same way that other religions revere, uh, I suppose you could say, uh, Jesus. In other words, a figure that isn't exactly the same as God, but stands for God in this universe and um, is, is, as I say, a figure of good. The, you know, whether in ancient times, because we do know that people did used to have belief or did used to offer propitiation to figures who were associated with the night, with, if you like, the forces of dark, whether there's some ancient historical connection is another question. Well, this is the particularly fascinating area of your book, is that in talking about these religious constituencies that have been preserved over the millennia, that have witnessed the rise of Christianity and then of Islam in the Middle East, there seem to be hints, not just in the Yazidis, but particularly in the Mandaeans, who you also talk about, of practices that might go all the way back to Babylon and the ancient religions of Mesopotamia. What does it say in the, the Mandaeans, who are not perhaps as well known as, as mm. the Yazidis? What is there in there that, that points to antiquity? And what's the state of, of the Mandaeans in the Middle East now? Well, there are several things. I mean, the Mandaeans are sort of really exactly the same today in terms of their practice and ritual as they would have been 1,500 years ago. Some of their texts go back to the 2nd century AD, but they've also kept other things, much older things. Um, there was a, a woman scholar of the 20th century, British, called Lady uh, Drower, who was living in Iraq, spent years studying the Mandaeans, and... One of the things she did was to collect Mandayan spells because they are quite famous in Iraq for their magic. Not all of them, but some of them. And, of course, the Middle East, Mesopotamia, has a very long tradition of magic. And she found a spell in use at the time, in the 1940s, which uh, began, Sundered is Bel from Babylon, Sundered is Nebu from Borsippa. Now, of course, those are not words. Borsippa... Is a, is a town that hasn't existed for over 2,000 years, you wouldn't make it up. Those, that's a phrase that's survived from the ancient past when Bel, as in Belshazzar, and Nebu, as in Nebuchadnezzar, were gods of ancient Mesopotamia. So they've kept the wording precisely. In a number of other ways, they do preserve old beliefs. We don't know enough, I think, about the beliefs of ancient Mesopotamia, to be absolutely sure. One thing, though, that we know was very common was uh, planet worship. It was thought, of course, the ancient Babylonians were the ones to, to do so much of the naming of the constellations and of the planets, so that we still have Jupiter, Mars, and so on, Latin names, but translations of Marduk and the names of other Mesopotamian gods after whom the planets were named. And they perceived the planets as being astral deities, essentially, and this belief is still common today. The Mandaeans do uh, have a reverence. Well, they, they don't. They have. They allocate to the seven planets and to the twelve constellations a an, um, 
a, a certain supernatural power, not, a, not necessarily a benevolent one, actually. Um, the Alawites of Syria uh, undoubtedly do revere and even, they might say, worship uh, the sun, the moon and the planets. Well, with, with, with the Alawites, I mean, we're also coming into this fascinating issue of moving into um, Christian and then Islamic periods. Mm -hmm. The degree to which there is possibly a synthesis between Christian, Muslim, Jewish, Mandean, Yazidi, all these sort of confluence of different religions and cults and heresies merging together. And um, what light did, did your researchers shed on that? Well, there's a fascinating uh, mix of these ideas, just to show us, I suppose, that um, if we look back in part, in the, into the past, we'll see that the cultures that have existed in the past, the threads that lead through those cultures, through those beliefs, actually do tie us all together in a certain sense. So we may look at the Middle East and we could say how distant it seems from us, how different, and yet actually we're tied to it, and bits of our own culture come from there. The, um, for example, the Yazidi belief that Lucifer has repented is connected to a belief held by Christians in Iraq in a long time ago, um, around the sort of 5th, 6th century, that uh, the devil would be redeemed at the end of time. So they also believed that there couldn't be anything that was condemned to be evil. And one of the reasons they thought that, by the way, is that when they met Zoroastrians who believe in Iran, who believe that good is fighting evil and the Zoroastrians don't, didn't believe then in an omnipotent God that would step in and ensure the victory of good. Um, and that the Zoroastrians would ask the Christians, where does this devil come from? If your God's omnipotent, where, how does the devil come to exist? And that's why both Christians and Muslims actually wrestled with the question of, of Satan. What, where did he fit? And the Christians said, all things will be redeemed eventually. And the Yazidis say, even the devil has been, re been redeemed now. It's happened already. Uh, listening to you talk about this, this amazing array of, of religions, it, it sounds almost like um, an ecologist talking about an environmentally rich area full of biodiversity. I mean, is there a sense in which that is what the Middle East is for the historian of religions? It is. It is. It, 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 it was even more so. Do you know, even some of the early Muslim writers were fascinated by the religions they encountered. So it, uh, there was one called Ibn Nadim, who was probably the last man to talk to Manichees in their, uh, while, while the religion was still alive in the Middle East, because he had, he says, there were a handful left in Baghdad. Uh, the Manichees, of course, um, who converted St. Augustine briefly, believed in the fight of good against evil, and it was a religion which spread through the world. Now, Biruni, who was living in Iraq about a thousand years ago, um, traveling actually through through the whole of the East, um, tells us a lot about the Mandaeans, is really interested in Hinduism. I think when you look at the Middle East and you realize that it's been a subject of fascination for so long to people who want to study religions, you can understand why, as a meeting of, of empires, a meeting of cultures, it has for thousands of years been uh, a breeding ground for new religions. You know, the major religions of the world, of the Western world, come from there, and many others that have not spread in the same way come from there too. And I suppose that that leads us back to the area which I began, which is what is their future, presumably not bright. 
Well, it's, it's rather like looking at a coral reef, if you like, and um, that's dying. And you can see large patches of it that are no longer as diverse as they were. And that's true of the Middle East as well. Not only its physical heritage, but also the ideas and the living traditions represented by these communities are under grave threat. It's, it's not just the threat of war, which they've lived through and survived before, but it's the opportunity to leave, which they never had before which means that great numbers of them, 90% of the Mandaeans of Iraq, two-thirds of the Christians of Iraq, uh, in the last 20 years have gone. So how many Mandaeans are there left now in Iraq? In Iraq, fewer than 10,000. And what prospect is there for them, their religion surviving in America? In uh, well, that's Europe? a good question, because I don't think any will stay in Iraq in the end. Um, some live in Iran, I should add, uh, where they can perhaps remain. It's a difficult life, but it's not impossible. In other countries, they can try. It's very difficult for them. For all of these religions, which are very s secretive, the Druze, the Alawites, the Mandaeans, the Yazidis, not even the followers of the religion are entitled to know what the religion teaches. They aren't entitled to read the sacred books, which are secret, and the, at the beginning of every Mandaean book is a curse laid on any Mandaean priest who shows it to an outsider, because it is absolutely forbidden. Uh, not just in order to protect the community, from misunderstanding or persecution, but because actually there's an ancient belief in the secretness of all of these things. They're quasi-magical. You don't share them with a, a non-initiate. Um, how hard it is for such a religious community to exist outside of its homeland uh, when you have strict marriage rules that say the Yazidis could only marry within their caste, within their tribe. Uh, a man told me who lives now in Nebraska he said, even in my home village with 10,000 people, I can't find anyone to marry. You know, what am I going to do now that I live in the town of Lincoln? Um, and there are 300 others of, of my kind in the entire continent. Well, that's difficult. So we are, of course, aware of the many atrocities and crimes that have been committed in the Middle East in the 21st century and escalating really over the past year. Um, would you say that we need to be aware, though, of atrocities being committed against civilizations and cultures as well as against individuals. Yes, I think one of the things that I would really want people to reflect on is uh, the living history that's represented by existing communities. Um, and I would say that something else that can be learned from this history is that although today you have so many groups within Islam and in the West wanting to say, we have our culture and they have theirs, let's draw a line between us and say, we come from this book and they come from that. Actually, the reality is that cultures have learned from each other and adopted customs from each other all the way through their history, right to the present day. And that uh, if we look back in time, through history, we can see the bonds that link us all to each other. It was fascinating to me to discover uh, to talk to a, a young Muslim girl who lives in Britain and who said, uh, because she's uh, alienated from her homeland of Iraq um, and it's you know lives as a minority here in Britain, and yet she said going to the British Museum and seeing the uh, relics there, the uh, remnants of ancient Iraqi culture, made her feel a, a pride in her heritage that she hadn't felt before. Pride as an Iraqi, not just pride in a religion. And to me, it seems that history has a very powerful role 
as an educator, both of us in the West, but also in the Middle East, just to remind us all um, that uh, no, no culture or civilization is an island. We're all connected intimately to each other in ways which may startle and surprise us. Thank you, Jared. Thank you, Tom. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian-developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.